0: Coming up this week on Sporting Journal Radio.
1: The non-resident is not allowed to hunt in those areas and so access is gone. Uh, It's just amazing what kind of things are coming out in the fishing industry. Did you
0: see the story, David, about potential limits being put on mushroom hunters? I fish, I hunt, and always will. Broadcasting from the Alclair Outdoors Studios. Presented by OnX. Know where you stand with (laughs) OnX. We're not just a radio show anymore. This is Sporting Journal Radio. That's right. Welcome to the show. My name is Brett Amundsen. Thank you for tuning in on the network by demand, or maybe you're watching this on YouTube. Thank you very much. That's Dan Amundsen right over there. Dan, how are you doing? Doing all right. David Eckhart sitting over there. He looks like he's going pheasant. It's a radio show, David. You got to talk. (laughs) Yeah. hello (laughs) (laughs) you can't just nod we're on the radio but uh we're also on youtube so maybe people saw you wave and nod my head (laughs) yeah that's all right how you guys doing doing good david it's still doing good how's your uh how are your crops looking over there
2: the field crops are looking good the food plots they're coming along they're behind but they'll get there
0: we got a little bit of rain this week that kind of helped not as much as we probably wanted though
2: uh, we're right along. We've been getting some timely rains,
0: so. Oh, so you think we're sitting pretty good then? I think we're sitting anyway. okay, yeah. Okay. All right, well, we're going to talk about what effect the weather has had on uh, brood production for waterfowl. We'll dig into pheasants a little bit, too, but we got a couple of guys from Delta Waterfowl that are joining us on the show this week, Brad Heidel and Paul Waite. We're going to talk about the Duck Hunters Expo that's happening again this year in Arkansas and how similar it is pheasant fest and why it's similar to pheasant fest we'll find out why that is and is it going to be in arkansas all the time or is it going to come around to minnesota we'll find out we'll talk about uh access and non-resident changes for waterfowl hunters if you're going to travel somewhere what is what is all this non-resident regulation changing what kind of effect is that going to have is it going to keep changing what what exactly is going on we'll break it down with these guys coming up in just a little bit also it's iCast week so a lot of brand new fishing products being debuted down in orlando and joe henry from lake of the woods tourism is down there he's going to walk through the show for us talk about what he's seeing and if you're watching this he'll even show you what he's seeing on the floor at iCast this week but first dan (laughs) who are the sponsors (laughs) this week this week Live Target,
3: match the hatch at LiveTargetLures.com this fishing season. Lake of the Woods Tourism, Lake of the Woods is the walleye capital of the world. Plan a trip for this summer at Lakeofthewoodsmn.com, Haybell Heights Campground and Resort. Book a trip to Devil's Lake. Learn more at HaybellHeights.com, Ottertail Lakes Country. Find your inner otter at OtterTailLakesCountry.com and Prairie Sports when the new season is over. But you can watch episodes anytime at the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel or uh, watch reruns on, you check your TV guide for local listings. Yeah. Found yeah. out uh, our cousin Scott really likes the Haybell Heights read. He told me that this weekend. <laughs> oh, really? We don't know why. He just does. So there you go, Scott, haybellheights.com. <laughs> there you go.
0: <laughs> All right. Yeah, we should plan a trip to, we should bring Scott up to Devil's Lake. He'd probably enjoy that. He would probably enjoy that a lot. We need to make a trip up there. Um, we just did a trip over to, uh, well, we fished around the Wilmer area. And we were doing that because we were filming something for Casting. They needed a video for their booth that I cast. We had one day to film it. It was a little... We were a little nervous uh, about getting it all done, and we don't bass fish over there. David, you fish around Wilmer much. Have you bass fished over there much? I have never bass fished
2: over there. Yeah. I don't really bass fish.
0: Yeah. Well, we don't spend a lot of time doing it. We've been doing it more and more, mostly because we've had to film product stuff. Yeah. But, you know, bass fishing is fun. It's action, it's uh, casting. And so we were like, oh, there's, you know, there's a bunch of lakes around Wilmer. We'll, Let's just point it at one. I, I looked up some DNR research on what lakes had largemouth and smallmouth, and we picked one of the ones that they said had higher numbers. And as we drove by it, we looked and we saw lily pads right by the axis. We're like, oh yeah, this piece of cake. We're going to be done by noon. You know, we'll be laughing. How many hours did we spend over there, Dan? All day. Wow. <laughs> Not on that first lake? Oh, on that lake? Yeah, no. Uh, <sighs> I don't know. What time did we leave? I was
3: too angry to look at the clock.
0: <laughs> Dan was so mad. There are a uh, lot of
3: things going on.
0: Yeah, we we're we we're having some um, some equipment issues here and there, and then we weren't catching fish. And then right away, like we filmed this intro for the for the video, and then we're like, all right, we're gonna run that shoreline right there. So we were kind of staging in front of it, getting gear ready to go, and all of a sudden, and there was nobody on the lake. I think there was one other boat on the lake that we didn't even see. And in the time that we launched and got set up to start fishing a boat launched and just skirted right in front of us and started (laughs) fishing up the bank right in front of us like are you kidding me so we were in a bad mood right away and then didn't didn't catch any fish there
3: no and if we can't catch a bass on a lake uh, it's time hmm. to go time to go wrap her up
0: so we leave and we drive over to one of the other lakes and we clean off all the all the weeds we To pull the plug. We didn't have anything in the live well, so we weren't keeping fish, whatever. And so we get to the next lake and there's an AIS inspector there. And let me just preface this by saying nobody wants to see more invasive species spread to other lakes. We always clean, drain and dry. We're we're all about it, but we get there and this person will not let us launch the boat. Like, nope, nope. You uh, You need to fill out this paperwork saying you're transporting prohibitive invasive species and you need to go Well, you either need to go home and let it dry for five days, you need to go to the the the, uh, decontamination station at Green Lake, or you need to go to a car wash. And immediately, my that was a red flag for me. Like we we're required to go do this now, but we can go through a car wash. Like who's gonna watch us go through the car wash and make sure we do it? Like I was completely mind boggled at this point. Then we get to. We get to the decontamination station, and th- and these people there running it were very nice people, but they kept telling us it was the law for us to do this, that we had to go from one lake to another lake, and that was the law. And we're sitting there in the car trying to figure out when did it become a law.
2: Yeah, like, where is it written down?
0: Yeah, Will you move just a little bit closer to that mic, David, um, or move the mic up closer. It's, it's the law to clean, drain, and dry dispose of your bait. Drain your live wells, pull your plug, but it's not the law to rest your boat for five days and let it dry or go through decontamination station. Even if you come from an infested lake, it's not. Let's just recommend it. Will it become law? Probably.
3: And while, okay, so let's preface this too and say it became law that we had to do it when the AIS inspector told us to go do that. They have that discretion to do that. So that's where it becomes law. If she was not there, it would not have been law for us to go do that. It's, it all becomes on their discretion. And so I'm guessing that's a county policy. But there was, you know, every time I try to clarify it, there was no nobody could show us any legislation on here's where it's cut and dry or here's why it's the law for you to now do this. Or, you know, I ask the question, what if I'm in a county that doesn't have one of these stations or what do I do? And was still told that we still had to clean our boat and do this blah blah blah. Well, no, we don't. I mean, yes, it's sh- it's recommended, it's strongly recommended to do it, right? Because yeah. we again, none of us want to see invasive species spread, but Correct. I mean, at some point, we got to be realistic about it. I mean, look at the Boundary Waters. Are we spraying off our canoes every time we portage? Like, <laughs> you know, let's let's think about it as yeah. from a realistic standpoint here, people, and and. I get it. We want to do everything we can, but yeah. you know, I, I kind of started to relate it, not that I want to get into this politics of anything, but it's like trying to stop COVID or disease. Yeah. Well, it's not, you know, whoa. Dang. This Yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa. I know. I know. Well, I, don't really wanna, get- <laughs> I don't really want to I don't really want to go down we're that road. You get banned
0: but, on YouTube now for yeah, saying sorry. that. sorry. <laughs> but you know,
3: you guys know what I'm trying to say. Right. Like yeah. at some point you just there's nothing you can do about it and we're going way over the top to to try to do something that's not going to make any sense, especially when we're coming from a place that
0: didn't have any invasive species and that and, and again my main issue with this whole situation is not the clean draining and drying obviously not even going through the decontamination station it's the messaging and if 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 their policy maybe their policy in that county is just to tell that person that has the discretion to make it a law to require you maybe they just tell her hey every boat you see make them sign that paperwork and do it. Like, we're just going to force these people to do Probably. it. Probably. I don't necessarily agree with that method, but then I'd get it. And then the other people were saying the whole time it was the law. So either either they were lying to us or they were told the wrong thing or that's their policy in that county is to make it, their law and their discretion to make people go do this. But
3: yeah, I don't know. Who knows? It, There's it just, also a ton of AIS in that county. Well, yeah. And that's <laughs> probably prob- more honestly, than I see in every other county. And that's so,
0: probably why they're trying to step yeah, up efforts. Sure. So I, I'll give people credit for, for doing it. And, and if some of those people are volunteers out there, I give them credit for doing it. We don't want to see more invasive species. But, man, we were under a lot of pressure and kind of under the clock and things were going wrong for us at the start. And then we ran into this that sidelined us for, I don't know, an <laughs> hour. An hour. Yeah. two hours that uh, had
3: to go you know burning gas going out of our way again i'm not trying. i, I yeah. want to make it clear we're not against the yes. idea of cleaning our boats and, and it makes it sound like per- we're complaining about i know it. we're not it's it's a we're it trying to we're nice, trying to keep it realistic. Nice
2: to know beforehand so
3: yeah. yeah nice to know beforehand or at least have a cut and dry here's why that's it here's yes here's right. this instead of a whole bunch of confusion on I I, I felt like we were just wasting time. We, We came from a lake without any invasive species. We didn't have any weeds or anything on our trailer, so... I mean, what, are, what are we doing at this point here?
0: It is the messaging and the situation and then what effect that's going to have on tourism and, and boating and, and people that want to fish? I mean, you go to an area like that because it's got multiple lakes to fish. I mean, if, you, if you're if you going to have to take your boat off one lake and rest it for five days before you can go somewhere to, to, to a different lake, you know, or, or drive over to Green Lake to the decontamination station every time you want to change lakes, it's, I don't know what the right answer is. And I'm not trying to complain too much about it because ultimately we want to see these efforts be successful so anyway it was it was an interesting experience but it was a successful one in the end we had a great great day of fishing overall and we've got a video if you're at iCast you can watch the video right now in the booth otherwise you'll see it coming to the fish hunt forever youtube channel and uh, you should subscribe to it while you're online check out the fish hunt forever store we got new hats new hats that are coming to the store and some new sun shirts and a bunch of other hoodies and mugs and things like that. And during the month of July, when you buy something from our store, we'll donate 15% of all sales to Minfish, who is providing advocacy work, much needed advocacy work toward fishing opportunities in minnesota another interesting thing coming to minnesota guys we we're running out of time here we gotta gotta get to our guests but real quick did you see the story david about potential limits being put on mushroom hunters
2: i haven't seen it yet no
0: so there's a story out you can see it on the outdoorfeed.org is where we saw it the outdoorfeed.org limits may be placed on foragers in minnesota and i've spoken to I spoke. That was my first reaction. I've spoken to a number of people that are heavy into foraging in Minnesota and mushroom hunters and so forth, and they have mixed feelings about it. And right now, it's it's mostly uh, about state parks and you know some sort of state land because uh, some people are. I, one story was shared with me that somebody went in and just got buckets and buckets and buckets of I think it was morels or something, and then we're trying to sell them to all the other people that normally go there and forage for. 50 bucks a bucket or whatever the price was I don't know so there's definitely some situations where I could see some limits being good but at the on the the, at the face of it it's like wait a minute you're gonna limit how many morels I can go pick half the time I can't even find them (laughs) you know so uh coming up in a couple of weeks we're gonna have a couple of bigger names in the Minnesota foraging world to discuss this controversial topic First, though, this week, we've got Paul Waite and Brad Heidel coming up from Delta Waterfall and also Joe Henry, who has an ICAST walkthrough coming up on Sporting Journal Radio. 852 million acres of public land, 147 million private properties, all in the palm of your hand. Devil's Lake is legendary, and this summer has been legendary for walleyes Don't miss out. Call Haybale Heights Campground and Resort today to book one of their modern cabins on East Bay. The cabins are furnished with a full bathroom, kitchen, and all the amenities like high speed internet and are clean following CDC guidelines. Staying at Haybale Heights gives you full access to a private boat launch, fish cleaning station, and beach area. Learn more at haybaleheights.com. That's haybaleheights.com plan your trip to legendary devil's lake today hi this is sporting journal radio i'm brett amundson along with dan amundson and david eckhart and we didn't make it to icast this year but that doesn't mean we're not going to bring you some icast content because joe henry from lake of the woods tourism is down there right now on the floor joe how's it going
1: hey guys how you doing welcome uh, welcome to uh, sunny not cool Orlando, Florida. It's cool, but How sweaty it's sweaty area. Cool. It's cool in the building. Put it that way. Oh man, I remember
0: last year we had to be there the couple of days before for setup too. When we were down there with Live Target, and they didn't have the, they had just kicked on the air conditioning in that big building, and it was a hundred degrees outside, and it was like hundred and ten inside that building.
1: Yeah. Oh, it. What it, it, the, the air is working just fine today, and it's hot. It's hot and humid outside. It's, it's Central Florida, but uh, I'll tell you what. You know what you, you get to the parking lot? It's probably like Minnesota in the winter when it's super cold same thing you know we uh we kind of scurry uh, through the elements and get inside where it's nice and warm and I think that's what you do in Florida but you know guys uh and, and I know you guys know this but ICAST is the largest fishing show in North America and it features you know freshwater saltwater fly fishing it's kind of the who's who in the fishing industry companies are releasing new products and uh there's the pros I hear I had a chance to talk with Kevin Van Dam today Steve Panaz uh, I can go on and on with a list of who's who but you know uh with, with Lake of the Woods Tourism, you know, we're a fishing destination and it's amazing how by just being present down here and the companies you meet that might want to come up and do a film shoot or some of the pros will want to come up and shoot a TV show or you know you run into different TV networks and different media and, you know, it's something that always happens and that's why, that's why I attend ICAST every year.
0: Yeah. It it was a really neat event last year. And obviously we saw a lot of really cool products, but the the biggest thing was being able to just see people and meet them. And then afterwards, hang out with them and have a, have a beverage or have some, have some food and get, get, uh, do some of that networking, get, get some of the real work done down there,
1: Joe. Exactly. Well, the relationships are huge. You know, I, uh, there's a Minnesota company called, uh, of course, Blackfish that's part of Clam, clam outdoors and you can see the booth here. They're releasing their new stuff. And, you know, just every year there's more technology. There's things to see. I mean, uh, it's, uh, re- re- really quite interesting down here. And, uh, boy, I tell you, you know, uh, we, we, had the new product, uh, uh, releases last night. We had a chance to see. And boy, I tell you between the lures, the plastics, the digital, the, I mean, uh, it's just amazing what kind of things are coming out in the fishing industry. And, uh, it's also interesting, you know, seeing different aspects. You know, the the saltwater aspects of this. I mean, saltwater is obviously huge, and um, some of the different products that come out for that aren't applicable to to freshwater, like up at Lake of the Woods. But um, it's it's still very interesting to see what technology has done, and and really how companies are trying to leverage new products to to increase sales. I sometimes yeah. wonder what part of that is actually true better fishing and better fishing products and what part of that is to target the, the actual fisher, the, the, the angler, I guess.
0: Now, I want to ask you what, I'm sure you've been through the new product showcase. I want to ask you what new products you've seen out there that you, that have caught your eye, but while you're walking around, Joe, look for the cast King booth because you might see uh, Dan or I on the TV there at, or at the live target booth too. You might see us uh, at the live target booth. <laughs> Hi
1: ladies. <Yeah. laughs> well, you know, I, I did walk by the cast King booth and I, next time I'll have to actually take a closer look, but uh, yeah, you asked about new products and you know, Rappel is coming out with a line of plastics and uh, Boy, I thought that was uh, you know really neat. Um, what else? You know, there's. Uh, I noticed that uh, clam uh, clam outdoors came out with some new ice fishing setups. They also came out with a new uh, a new bait that's kind of a it's kind of a, a search bait, almost like a jig and wrap that's uh, about an inch long and uh, is very very small. But uh, that's going to be for targeting panfish. I noticed that there were some jigs that weren't round, but rather they were a a weird, a different shape that's supposed to get detected by forward-facing sonar better so many people are using forward-facing sonar and they want to be able to see where their lure is in proximity to the fish or the structure that they're targeting so they're making new shapes and new materials that can get seen by sonar a little bit better and uh you know all those things that, it's just very interesting in the fishing industry things are changing they're always changing right and um it's you know icast is where everything gets revealed
0: yeah, and you know, we're kind of listening to you, Joe, but Dan and I are both squinting into the screen right now to see who we recognize and what products are on display there.
1: Yeah, no, it just, you know, everywhere you go, there's a lot of really, really neat uh, neat products. And, uh, um, you know, and, and some of the booths are bigger, you know, you get some small tackle companies that are trying to make, a, uh, make an impression. And then you got companies like, oh, you look at Shimano booth. I mean, can you imagine what this booth cost? And look at the the time and effort that goes into something like this, yeah, so you really uh, you really got a little bit of everything, and uh, um, it's 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 good but uh, but yeah, and you know all this I mean you know and, and let's face it, a lot of these products that are introduced here will end up being used up at Lake of the woods and uh, you know, uh, it's going to be fun to see these things roll out. Uh, I talked to Tom Boley earlier. You probably know uh, his name. He does uh, some really good fishing videos. He was with Acme Tackle Company, and he talked about fishing Lake of the Woods and how, you know, even himself, how the way he used to fish Lake of the Woods is changing with the forward-facing sonar and how, uh, you know, instead of pulling spinners or pulling cranks over the basin now, he's going and sharpshooting walleyes, finding mm-hmm. them in the deep mud, and then he's pitching oh, kind of a – was almost like a, uh, a lead head with a spinner on it and a single Aberdeen hook that really shows up well on the forward facing sonar. And, uh, yeah, just again, the way people are fishing because of technology is really changing. And, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be fun to see how that uh, plays out on Lake of the Woods. I can tell you that we just had the Minnesota Tournament Trail up on Lake of the Woods, and I didn't hear details on how the guys caught them, but I can tell you, uh, the guys and gals, I should say, a lot of couples and a lot of ladies fishing it, too. But I can tell you that, I'm speaking to some of the anglers just before the tournament, they were talking about how they've changed their fishing style and how they're sharp shooting walleyes on Lake of the Woods, whether it's on structure, going on rock piles, looking for bigger fish. Or maybe it's uh, going out in no man's land in that deep mud where those big fish live, and actually looking for a big fish and then targeting that big fish, casting to them with different baits, and, uh, and that's really different. I can tell you this: that you know those those uh, anglers for the Minnesota Tournament Trail who were up there last week, they averaged about a about a gosh if I were to say it was about a uh, it wasn't a six pound average, and uh, wow, uh, it, it was they, they caught a lot of big fish and. Uh, uh daddy maybe you can pull that up and give me uh backing up a little bit but it was they caught a lot of big fish in that tournament and that happens every year
0: he got us definitely distracted if you're watching this right now we're watching joe walk through iCast and uh it's definitely taking up a lot of our attention right now if you're listening to this well you need to turn this on youtube and and check it out
2: anything new joe that you're going to add to your tackle box
1: yeah (laughs) well you know probably eventually you know i think uh I tell you, some of those plastics I saw from were kind of neat, they had some new crankbaits out, you know, some of the clam ice fishing stuff I thought was kind of neat. Um, and then just even some of the hooks are coming out with, with new materials, yeah, there's stuff. And, uh, you know, I don't know when I'll get my hands on some of this stuff, but it's it's coming, no doubt. Um, you know, I think the other thing that's interesting is, uh, like kayaks, you know, we had hosted a Hobie event up at Lake of the Woods at one point in time, and. You know, the, the kayak industry is really coming on strong and the electronics and the rod holders, the different kind of kayaks are making. Um, and, you know, there's people that fish the Rini River. There's people that fish up on the islands with those kayaks. I know people that go and target those early season pike on Zippel Bay and Four Mile Bay. You know, just there's different niches to the fishing industry that play well on Lake of the Woods. Not all of them have played out so far. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot more to come, but, uh, but, it, but it's certainly coming.
0: It's amazing how using forward facing sonar is changing the way people fish, not just on maybe maybe scouting and, and hunting for big fish and then stopping and casting and you know, pitching at them or whatever, but Deciding what size bait to use, so you have something that not only will trigger a strike, but also show up well on that on that forward-facing sonar. Like that's there. I don't know how many times I'm pitching jigs. I'm like, man, I can't see my jig. That's that's
3: <laughs> half the reason I use a tungsten jig these days, because tungsten shows up on sonar better than than lead.
1: Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you, I, I fished. I happened to fish the uh, the ICAST Cup, which is kind of a, it's kind of a media event, and uh, you know, um, the the pearl and and. Uh, the company representative I was fishing with, they had forward-facing sonar, hummingbird on their on their boats and uh, on their boat, I should say. And both of those guys were up in front and they were casting to different brush piles. Sometimes they could see the fish, sometimes they couldn't. And then I was just casting in the back of the boat, no man's land, you know, trying to pick up bass. But, you know, we, uh, they, they, they were casting specifically. And it, he said, even in the bass industry, absolutely has changed, you know, the, how, how fishing is, uh, is happening. Um, you can see uh, which booth I'm at right now. I'm at the, happened to stroll by the Humminbird booth. And um, I'll tell you what, Minn Kota came out with a really big uh, trolling motor, a real high-powered trolling motor. I think it's called the Riptide, but uh, this motor is a freaking beast. And uh, uh, this one's big. I can tell you that, uh, in addition to that one, I think Garmin has come out with a new trolling motor. They're that cracking. actually has... Um, the live scope within the shaft so all the wiring and everything is within that shaft um i think i think it was power pole came out with a new trolling motor that's actually a titanium shaft it's real small head on top but again all changes all, all advancements in the fishing industry
0: it's amazing and it's amazing that you get to see all those products in one place you know last year was our first trip to icast and it was uh, it's it's really an eye-opener when it comes to the who's who in the fishing world, the brands, and, uh, and all the new products. What is that right there, Joe?
1: This is, uh, this is fly fishing over here, and uh, you get the opportunity to, to cast a fly rod, some of the new products. And uh, he, is, he is whipping it out there and, and just checking out, look at the water, and look what they got set up for that.
0: Yeah, that wasn't there last year. Are there any trout swimming around in there?
1: Nope, nope. Rural, oh. uh, I- I'd say that water is probably an inch or too deep, probably a little yeah. bit too shallow for uh, for holding fish right now. But uh, I'll tell you what, if there's a trout pond, I'd be fishing it, man. I'll tell you, that'd be <laughs> fun. <laughs> it's like when you go to a sports show, right?
0: How did uh, how was that ICAST Cup? How was fishing, Joe?
1: Uh, fishing, fishing was a little bit tough. Um, we we did end up with uh, it was you would weigh three bass and the three bass we weighed were nine and a half pounds total so we had about a three a little over a three pound average the winning bag was uh, over 18 pounds so a six pound average and i think the big fish was just under nine pounds it was about eight Jeez. and a half pounds wow. so some nice fish for caught and uh, you know it was it's amazing in florida and central florida how you know you can be uh, we, it, the tournament was just is immediately But the, the tournament was a uh, four-hour tournament from six thirty in the morning till ten thirty in the morning, and uh, I tell you, it's unbelievable how hot it can get in Central Florida at oh, ten thirty yeah. in the morning. It's <laughs> no, crazy hot.
0: Well, very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting. We're missing, definitely missing, ICAST this year. We'll have to try to get back down there again next year. But um, you know, we would also take a trip to Lake of the Woods instead too. I'd- <laughs> Either, either
1: well, and you know what? You. Uh, uh, you, you, I know you guys will get back down here, and uh, I'll tell you what—we're walking up to a, another. But it's kind of funny, you know—you walk from fly fishing, and of course, you walk over to climb, and you got the fish houses set up. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I walked by. Um, <laughs> you know, most people are saying, "Oh, that's kind of neat—a tent for my kids camping."
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I saw. I don't, I don't know you know what it. this
1: really is. I don't Not on that
0: heat. Danny Thompson or somebody shared a picture on Instagram when he got there, and it was an ice castle parked on. Aquaview
3: Square. had it,
1: I think. Oh, it was Aquaview. Yeah, that's Aquaview what brought
3: trailered one down there. How many? How yeah, many people that, in yeah Florida?
1: I checked Colt Ringer earlier, and uh, yeah, Colt. Colt said, "Hey, how do you how do you like uh, how do you like our our, uh, our prop we have here this year?" And uh, it was a wheelhouse. Yeah, and I guarantee you, most people most people in Central Florida haven't seen a wheelhouse. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Oh, like, hey, like, the camper's here, camper... too. Look at that, you know. <laughs> yeah. like, why does but, this camper
2: uh... drop down to the ground? <laughs>
1: yeah. why, why would a camper have floors on the, oh, in the Holes floor, in the right? floor, that's right. yeah.
0: <laughs> Is that the PM? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is, when you're camping.
1: But um, All we'll right. come over here, and, of course, you know, there's always, there's always new uh, new lures happening. So if I slide over here, check this display out. They got a whole line of uh, all-terrain tackles, bass oh. fishing oh, tackle. Oh, that's cool. I do see some of that stuff.
0: Our, uh, we Steve Hoggy we knew real well growing up, who started that company. So that's uh, it's very cool to see that down there. He's probably running around there uh, too yeah, right maybe. now, I bet. All right, Joe, we'll let you get back to the show, but uh, appreciate the, okay. the check-in and, and walking around for us. Say hi to everybody down there for us. And, and uh, if people want to plan a trip to Lake of the Woods, what should they do?
1: Well, I'd say what, uh, Fisher Biden, check out our website and that is lakeofthewoodsmn.com.
0: Northern Minnesota's Walleye Factory is a year-round world-class fishing destination. The perfect getaway this summer is just a short drive to Lake of the Woods. Fish Big Traverse Bay, the Rainy River, or visit the unique Northwest Angle. To catch big fish, you have to go where the big fish are. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at LakeoftheWoodsMN.com. That's LakeoftheWoodsMN.com. Kodiak, a North American waterfowl film, is coming to the Fish Hunt Forever YouTube channel. I've been a sea duck hunter for about 30 seconds, and I've already got one that's probably going to go on the wall, so this is the coolest duck hunt I've ever been on. Presented by Boss Shot Shells, with support from Sitka and Beretta, and additional support from Alclair Outdoors, High Prairie Animal Arts, and the Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Riders. Watch Kodiak on the Fish Hunt Forever YouTube channel. Hi, this is Sporting Journal Radio. I'm Brett Amundsen, along with Dan Amundson and David Eckhart. Thanks for tuning in on the network by Demand, SportingJournalRadio.com, or maybe you're watching this on YouTube. Thank you very much. You should be watching it. If you're a waterfowl guy, because we'll probably have some, uh, some eye candy uh, coming for you during this segment right now as we talk about ducks and geese and uh, big old Duck Hunters Expo. It's coming up in uh, Arkansas here in uh, just a couple of weeks. So we got a couple of guys from Delta Waterfowl to join us on the show right now. Uh, Brad Heidel and Paul Waite are going to gonna jump on with us. How you doing, gentlemen?
4: Great. Thank you. Oh, very it's,
0: good. it's never too early to start talking about the duck hunting season, in my opinion. I mean, I like I like to fish, and we got some cool things coming up yet this summer. But I am literally every year counting down the days until uh, until fall gets here and hunting season gets here, and I'm excited about it. You guys are in Wisconsin, correct? What are what are conditions like in Wisconsin? What do you what do you think the season's going to look like this year?
4: Paul, well, go ahead. You start out.
5: Yeah. So uh, we started out with a lot of water in northeast Wisconsin, and it has dried out considerably. Um, I think we're going to have a good hatch. I'm not a biologist, but, you know, we started out with, with good duck numbers, certainly looking at uh, the state DNR surveys too. Um, you know, the numbers look pretty good. I just hope that, um, you know, we get some rain because we really need it. It's really been super dry since about middle of May. Um, but, but I'm optimistic and I'll tell you, you know, a lot of our ducks come from the prairies and the Eastern part of the prairies looks pretty good. I was just up in Saskatchewan two weeks ago and it looked pretty good. There lots of ducks. So. Oh, good. So, and uh, the Dakotas are certainly pretty good too.
0: That's good. Cause I remember I go to Saskatchewan every year and I was up there, I'm trying to remember what year it was, 2021, I think. And I was flying over the Southern part of Saskatchewan and every slough was dry like every single one that we flew Mm -hmm. over was bone dry. So I, I got a little nervous that year, but uh, obviously a lot of duck production up there. So that's good to hear that there's some water.
4: Yeah. I I can tell you that that map you just brought up where there's that nasty orange spot in Wisconsin, that is right where I am at. uh, We we haven't seen rain here since uh, I would say probably the first week in May. And uh, as we're speaking here today, it's actually we're getting our first rain in that amount of time. It's, it's dry. It's dry.
0: <laughs> Brad, with uh, pheasants forever background and the effect that, you know, those storms in, in June and er, late May and early June, what effect heavy storms and hail can have on pheasant nest nesting mm-hmm. success. Uh, how much is that, I'm assuming it's got to be fairly similar for duck nests as well too, especially those ducks that are nesting in the grass
4: like a pheasant would. It's going it's to be similar, um, but uh, I don't, I think, uh, and I'm not knocking the pheasant, but I think uh, a duck is a little bit tougher bird. Yeah. uh, Just simply because of of their structure and and how they live and where they live and uh, they're accustomed to water. And and I just think they're a little tougher bird. And I would say that uh, they'll probably do, they'll fare a little bit better than a pheasant.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, you, you see mallard nests at times in people's yards or uh, up, you know, next to their garage or, or whatever. But I had a blue wing teal nest in my yard. Was that, la- was that Two last years year? Ago. Two years ago. And uh, I found it because I was kind of walking through the grass and I flushed the, the hen up off the nest. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. So I went, I actually put up a GoPro right next to the nest. And I had it for two days. I was able to film her on her nest a little bit. It was pretty interesting. I came back the third day, and the nest was completely trashed. And I had raccoons all over my trail cameras. Mm-hmm. So, I uh, we went on uh, kind of kind of went, tried to uh, knock out a few raccoons after that. It was a little bit of a and we know. didn't. No, we tried to. <laughs> and we,
4: we we tried to. Hey. I, I think that's a perfect segue for Paul to talk a little bit more about Delta Waterfowl and, and what we do is as, as an organization to put more ducks over decoys. I agree.
5: Yeah. So one of Delta's four pillars as the Duck Hunters Organization is uh, duck production and our two primary uh, duck production tools are predator management and hen houses. And both of those tools are designed to uh, Keep the hen, the nesting hen, uh, out of harm's way as much as possible in the wild. So, get that duck, um, you know, a better chance to to uh, hatch a nest um, because predation certainly is a, a huge problem um, in in many parts of the prairie. Uh, so, yeah, so you're you're showing the hen houses there. Um, that's one of our key programs. We have 12,000 hen houses in the Prairie Pothole Region, wow. and they're very effective at uh, producing mallards. It, it just gets those that nesting hen up over the water, out of the grass, and away from predators that can can uh, get at it.
0: And, and predators. I mean, weather is probably your number one determining factor on on nest success or or population. But predators are something we can actually control, right? Or at least try to control. I mean, that's got to that's got to have a big impact on uh, on nest success and population goals out there.
5: Yeah, it sure does. Uh, it it gives the nesting hen a chance to hatch a nest. I mean, it, in areas where there's not as much grass cover, uh, because the land is developed and and used for farming and other uses, um, you know. All the ducks go in the high grass that are around these wetlands and guess where all the predators go to? They all go yeah. in that grass. And so, um, you know, it, it becomes easy for the <clears throat> predators to find those nesting ducks, uh, much easier. And so the, a much higher percentage of the nests fail then because of predation. So predator management in hen houses give those ducks a chance, kind of balances out the playing field a little bit and allows a lot more nests to hatch. And of course that means more ducks.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the great things that's come out of the, those predation programs that you do at Delta Waterfowl is that obviously coyotes are an issue when it comes to predation on a lot of things, pheasants, ducks, uh, whatever, but it also, you also highlighted the fact that some of these other, uh, animals like raccoons and skunks can be as big of a problem or even bigger when it comes to uh, raiding nests and nest predation.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Paul. I'll I'll just go ahead. Actually, um, the coyotes don't have a dramatic effect on on waterfowl and and probably not such a dramatic effect on pheasants either. It's really those smaller predators like the raccoons, the possums, ravens, and skunks uh, that are really doing the damage out on the prairies to these nesting birds.
0: Yeah, I think that's. I think that was something that a lot of people. I mean, obviously, some people knew that, but I think a lot of people were surprised when they started to learn that coyotes don't have as big of an. Ad. It doesn't mean I'm not going to try, <laughs> try to eliminate all the coyotes Fair around enough. me. But coyotes between are right. you and me. too busy chasing fawns. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's that too. But um, but that's that's interesting. How like how many years? When did Delta, Paul, when did Delta Waterfall start to focus on predators? How long long has that been going on?
5: Yeah, so the first predator management studies were done in North Dakota in 1994. Mm -hmm. So we've been at this about 30 years. Um, We've studied it in a lot of different places in the prairie pothole region. Um, And we implemented it as a program about five years ago where we're actually doing it not as uh, research, um, anymore, but as an actual program to aid duck production. So we've been at the predator management, we've studied it, we've refined it, We're, we continue to do that. Um, and, and, and it's quite effective um, in, in many areas of the prairie, especially in the areas where there's a lot of crop fields where it's working land for agricultural production. Because in those areas, there's there's less Grass less nesting cover uh, for those ducks to use, and so it uh, it becomes more effective. We can have a greater impact in those areas.
4: Yeah. Obviously, yeah, it, act- oh, oh, sir, right? it actually becomes very effective. And uh, you know, we ju- we are just implementing a new campaign here at Delta Waterfall called our Million Duck Campaign, where it's going to actually allow us to. Put a million additional ducks into the fall flight on a yearly basis into perpetuity, with t- with roughly two hundred fifty thousand of those ducks coming from our henhouse structures structures, and roughly. Uh, 750,000 of those coming through our predator management program and a lot of people will say well, well how can you do predator management on a large scale basis it, it just doesn't work well it, it actually after 30 years of research we have determined yes it does work and it works extremely effectively and it's a very efficient tool to put more ducks over decoys is as, as, as well um, and what we do is we find the areas with the Densest populations of nesting birds and concentrate on those areas. We call them trapping hot spots. And then we concentrate on those areas where the most uh, hens are nesting and we eliminate as many of the predators as we possibly can from that particular area.
0: It's all fascinating stuff. You know, we love to hunt and I think it's good that people that love to hunt also know the amount of work that goes into creating, uh, you know, stable duck populations for us and sound management and and habitat work and everything. So we can continue to have successful hunting seasons and, and promote. And I want to talk about some of the education side of things. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a pretty interesting stat I saw on the website about how up to 70% of wildlife management students have little to no experience hunting when that, that just blows my brain. And I want to talk a little bit more about that. We got to take a quick break. Uh, We're with Brad Heidel and Paul Wade from Delta Waterfall. More coming up on Sporting Journal Radio. Live Target, the leader in Match the Hatch is back with new lures that also match the action. Introducing the Live Craw. The Live Craw is irresistible to bass, walleye, and other freshwater species. F-Tex winner the Ultimate Frog looks and acts just like a swimming frog. With an exposed ultra-point mustad hook and replaceable legs, the Ultimate Frog has two styles, two sizes, and eight colors. And I cast an F-Tex winner the live shrimp mimics a fleeing shrimp for saltwater anglers. Coming soon from Live Target. Did you know there are more than 1,000
4: lakes in Otter Tail County?
0: Yep, and I'm going to fish as many as I can. I'm an outdoorsy otter. Nothing beats a full day of fishing for me. The lakes of Otter Tail County give me plenty of options to lower my boat and snag the perfect catch. Not an outdoorsy otter? No problem. Otter Tail County has something for everyone. You just need to find your inner otter. To find your inner otter, go to OtterTailLakesCountry.com. We're back. This is Sporting Journal Radio. I'm Brett Amundsen along with Dan Amundsen and David Eckhart. Thanks for tuning in on this station on the radio network. Also by downloading the podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts or maybe you're watching this on YouTube. Thank you very much. Make sure to give us a like and subscribe if you like what you're hearing. Share this with your friends. We appreciate it. We're talking ducks and waterfowl right now with Brad Heidel and Paul Waite from Delta Waterfowl. And I, was, I was on your website and I read a pretty interesting stat and it was that up to 70% of wildlife management students have little to no experience hunting. And you guys at Delta Waterfall are doing something about it. I don't know which one of you guys wants to answer this question, but uh, it, it, it's good. We need to have wildlife managers out there. It's good to see people interested in it that don't have a hunting background, but they have to understand the hunter's perspective, don't they?
4: They do. And um, Paul, if you don't mind, I'll handle this one because it is one of my favorite uh, favorite projects that we do here at Delta waterfall we started out about three maybe four years ago um, understanding first that there's a need because like you said roughly 70% of these people that are going into these wildlife professions don't hunt and uh, when I was growing up I'm 56 years old when I was growing up everybody that went into wildlife whether they're a conservation officer whether they're a fish biologist a wildlife ecologist etc, all of these people hunted and so they got it they understood it and now we have people moving into these positions who don't understand a where their paycheck's coming from yeah. and b also they don't understand the, the why we cherish this and why we love it so much and and they're making decisions that directly affect us so 4 years ago we started this program roughly and we were in 9 large universities uh, here in the United States. Last year we tackled 75 different universities with this program and we take these students through the entire process. We take them through I sound like Canadian there. <laughs> yes you uh, did. We, process. <laughs> so <sound like> Dr. <laughs> Um, so uh, we take them through that process and what we do is um, we uh, take them to their hunter safety program we take them to the range we teach them how to shoot a shotgun we take them out on their first hunt we show them how to clean the game we show them how to cook the game and eat it And, and some I would say most actually enjoy the experience and become hunters moving forward but even if they don't then have a better understanding of why we love it so much. And hopefully when they're making decisions about hunting and hunters and, and all the things that we do in the future, um, they'll think about it a little bit more. Um, I can tell you a really cool story. Um, we took six gals out from the University of Colorado uh, probably about two years ago, I think. and these gals hadn't hunted before and they got into an absolutely cosmic snow goose hunt, uh, one day. And, uh, that's something that we just dream about from time to time. And two of the gals who hunted were vegans. <laughs> and Both those gals killed the birds, both those gals cleaned birds and both those gals ate birds. Whoa. And they have since become, hunters and taking whitetail, taking pheasants, taking more waterfowl. And, you know, like for me, I just don't quite understand it, but they were vegans, not because they didn't enjoy meat. They did not like not knowing where their meat came from. Mm. And now they have a source to actually go out and, and get the meat that they do love and know exactly where it came from, but they also understand what, what hunting is all about and why we love it so much.
0: Yeah, I think I think that has really come out in the last well the last five to ten years. Just how hunting is kind of the natural – the it's natural and organic, right? Like, mm-hmm. like uh, all these people that want to be eat healthy and things like that they didn't they didn't re- they don't they didn't ever equate it hunting with eating healthy and living a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. I think it's starting. We to just happen. need to. A-
4: and we also need to get our families to better understand that we are supplying with them with some of the most expensive meat on the face of the earth. Oh yeah, oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> have you looked at the price of shells? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs>
4: yeah, For sure.
0: Oh man, it's so much fun. I enjoy it, you know, Dan and I, we, we our freezer is starting to get a little, it's uh, starting to empty out finally, but um, we've been eating a lot. Of, we've been getting into, we were saving the venison, but during the, the waterfall season, I mean, you shoot, Nowadays, you can shoot so many canada geese we we end up eating Canada goose just about every day, pretty much got the crock pot rolling every day and uh just throwing new breasts in there and slow cooking it, making sandwiches and tacos and and eating it every day it's uh it's really delicious, and for people that don't think a Canada goose is good to eat, you're just not doing it right in my I, mind. I got you, excited If you
2: guys day. uh
0: <clears throat>
2: I was digging well, through the freezer and i found a I found one more bag of goose legs oh all like, the best oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I got to fire up the crock pot and yeah. get them going.
4: That's so hey, Have good. you guys made any pastrami out of your goose yet? Ha-
2: I haven't done pastrami yet. I've had it.
4: It's yeah. good.
2: I I've have a buddy it. that made it. It's right. like, it's really not that hard.
1: Yeah.
4: I'll send you guys a recipe. And, and it, it literally is it's it's a two week brine on goose breasts. And when, when they come out of that brine, it's fully cooked. It's You don't have to do anything else with it. And it's absolutely spectacular.
0: Hey. I want to talk about Canada again real quick, and we don't have to get into this topic. But uh, first of all, you guys both been to Saskatchewan and Manitoba. And when you talk about talking and speaking like a Canadian, have you noticed, do they call hoodies bunny hugs in Manitoba or is that just a Saskatchewan thing? You guys know what I'm talking about?
4: (laughs) I've never heard them called bunny hugs before.
0: Have you heard that in Saskatchewan?
5: I've heard that. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know where that originated from or if that's just a Saskatchewan thing, but uh, I think
0: yeah. it is. All all my buddies up in Saskatchewan, they say that, that it's it's purely a Saskatchewan thing. And that's the first time I was up there, like, hey, nice bunny hug. I'm like,
1: What what did you call me? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> what the heck? Um What? Yeah. But uh Manitoba changed their regs for non residents this year. Um You're seeing it, you know, when it comes to like turkeys and deer hunting, like uh, South Dakota, Nebraska have all changed things. Now, Kansas is going to change some things for non-resident guys. Between you and me, I think Saskatchewan is probably going to change things too eventually. What do you guys think about some of these changes for non-resident hunters that like to travel around to hunt waterfowl? Uh,
5: I think that... It's really interesting. I'm working on a big story for Delta Waterfall Magazine about access right now. Mm -hmm. And I did speak to Tom Bedrowski of Kansas uh, Game and Parks um, this week. Oh, really? Yeah, about the regulation changes uh, that they're proposing. And those won't take effect this year. Uh, At earliest, it would be next year. Um, You know, they're, they're seeing an influx of of non-resident hunters, and the it's affecting the quality of the resident hunter experience, and of course they're concerned most with that. Um, so the, it's a balancing act, and I think yeah. it's because we're losing access. We've yeah. we've lost a lot of places that have been traditional, great places to hunt, and so that puts more pressure on the places that remain. Um, so it's interesting. There's, I think what's gonna happen and I don't know for sure, but it, it seems to me like what might happen is that a number of these states, provinces are gonna try different things and maybe they'll land on uh, some solutions that, you know, ease the pressure, spread out that, that hunting pressure, but still allow um, the greatest opportunity and access. I hope that's what happens.
0: And I think you nailed it, you know, uh, and you don't have to spill the beans too much on what your article is going to include, but um, access to me is the number one, when people talk about recruitment, you know, and yes, you have to do this and do that. But to me, access is your number one reason that we're having any sort of decline in participation in the outdoor world. Now, what, how do you, how do you solve that? And that's a tough thing because you can't really dictate how somebody treats their private land and, and what access they give. And I think that I think the honestly, I think bull hunters are partly to blame for this because oh. no I know and I do the same <laughs> thing. Like I, I bow hunt and I have trail cameras out and I stay completely stay out of the land that I want to bull hunt until the season starts. And it's like it's restricted even for deer hunters. And when you back in the day when you'd ask, Oh yeah, go you want to go try to walk through there, especially with your kid. Yeah, well go 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 shoot a nice deer whatever. That, those days are long gone. And when I lived in North Dakota For waterfowl, I could generally get on, even if the land was posted, a lot of times I could generally get on it if I was waterfowl hunting, but they said, just don't touch my deer or pheasants. So that that limiting of access is becoming such an important thing. And as a non-resident looking at North Dakota or even South Dakota, you know, those rules in North Dakota, the two weeks, what those, those have been in place for like 20 some years now, right? That was around the late Mm nineties, early two thousands that they, that they changed that, I think. And I I know nobody really liked it at first, but you had basically two weeks. You can choose two weeks to go over there and hunt. And I think people are okay with that. Non-residents aren't, unless you live in Moorhead, you're not probably not going to travel to North Dakota more than that amount of time. But what I think is different about Kansas, Paul, is what was was on state land, right? And it was what, you, you could only hunt mondays tuesdays or sundays mondays and tuesdays or what What are they proposing about what days you can hunt public land down there
5: yeah so it's sunday monday and tuesday that you would be able to hunt on state lands um for a hmm. while well, that's what they've proposed now that as uh he told me uh that has to go through a lot of approval processes public hearings and other things um so that may get modified who knows but but that's the that's yeah. the that they're working with right now
0: so do you think that's a better plan than having something like what North Dakota has where you can just take two weeks I mean I, I it's it's tough for me because I travel a lot to hunt so I hate seeing more restrictions put on me but at the same time when I hunt at home I, <laughs> I hate seeing all the pressure that I get from people traveling so I, I get the you know having it Having a priority for the local residents and making sure that they have a good hunting experience—they're the ones living there, working there, paying their taxes there, um, you know, trying to do the do the right things in a local area—and they don't, and especially they don't want to see some guy come in and lease up land that maybe they've been hunting forever and have him only come come and hunt it, you know, one week out of the year or whatever it is, but have it locked up for the entire season. I I understand the restrictions, but what, man, what what is the right answer? Is it? Do you think is it's probably not a one one size fits all type answer, you know, one of I'm the
5: sorry. things, one of the things he said was, you know, if you hunt in Kansas from early teal season, all the way to the close of goose season, that that's 144 hunting days. Wow. So that's a lot of hunting days. So if you knock out, you know, four sevenths of that, you're still, as a non-resident, going to have sixty some days where you can hunt anywhere you want in Kansas. And most people, I travel to hunt waterfowl to many states and provinces. I've been all over uh, the country and a lot of Canada as well. You know, you don't. Some people go for a week, but a lot of times you'll go for you know three or four hunt days, right? So if you have three or four hunt days in a row. You know, you'd leave on a Saturday and get down there and, and hunt Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and maybe you hunt Wednesday on some private or, you know, on a, on federal land that's still open or, or find some other arrangement and then you go home. So I don't know if that's the, you know, time will tell if they implement yeah. Um
0: yeah. You know, and I guess, but, I guess those guys that are taking, taking those trips are taking days off of work anyway. So it doesn't matter if it's a Monday or Tuesday or a, or a Thursday or Friday, but, mm-hmm. um, for the guys that live close to the border that like to hunt on the weekends and come down on the weekends a lot, I think you're gonna, you're gonna hear from them probably. Yeah.
5: That's the folks that will affect the most are the people who will make a day trip, you know, on a Saturday, they're not going to be able to do that. If they're not a Kansas resident and go to a state, um, hunting property.
4: You know, Brett, one of the things that you mentioned in reference to Manitoba changing their regulations, and I've got two things to say on that one, is one is um, I I just completed my draw application just before coming on with you guys today. And for those listening, if you want to hunt Manitoba this year, you need to have that draw application finished, completed and paid for by the 15th of July. If you don't do it by the fifteenth of July, you will not have an opportunity to hunt in Manitoba this year. And then the other thing I wanted to mention was, um, I know that Manitoba was looking at North Dakota as well when they uh, put some of this into place. And one of the things that we haven't brought up yet is, you know, we used to hunt uh, the Devils Lake area in Manitoba a lot when we were growing up. you know, we're talking late eighties, uh, early nineties, and, and you know, you could get out and You're you can to hunt in North Dakota. In North Dakota, right? In uh, that Devil's Lake area. And you could hunt to your heart's content and, you know, you had access like it was nobody's business. And I think the access issue that we're looking at with uh, certainly in that area of North Dakota, as well as others, and what Manitoba wants to avoid is that everything is getting leased up by yeah. guides and outfitters. Yeah. And so, so a lot of those places are getting hunted maybe once or twice a year. But, you know, there's entire sections taken up. And, you know, the non-resident is not allowed to hunt in those areas. And so access is gone. Right.
0: And that's happening. And that's happening in a lot of places. You know, some uh, some of the biggest waterfowl staging areas that's happening all over. You can look at it all the way up and down the the flyway. What do you, What is the answer there? Because, again, I mean, the guy starts a business, mm-hmm. the guy pays the money. I'm not saying it's right, but what other than you know, limiting access to, to, to other hunters, what makes it wrong? Mm-hmm. You know, what's what's the
4: answer there? I don't know. That's a million dollar question. Part of what
5: Manitoba did was cap the number of outfitters. So if right. you were a functioning outfitter pre-COVID, you can still be a functioning outfitter going forward. But, uh, you know, they've they've capped the number of outfitters and those outfitters that were operating say they had 50 hunters this is my understanding of it if they had 50 hunters in 2017 18 19 then that's their allocation going forward so they can't all of a sudden lease up a whole bunch more ground and go from you know bringing in 50 hunters to bringing 150 hunters or 200 hunters so that they're trying to control it that way and that's part of this manitoba uh, shift in regulations.
0: And as far as I understand it, they cleaned up some of the outfitters that had allotments that weren't using them too and got rid of them so yes. that the people that were using them were, were hunters. You know, that that is one thing, the Canadian model that I that I haven't minded, you know, in Saskatchewan, you get your zones, I'm sure Manitoba is very similar. You get your zones that you can guide in and there can only be so many guides in that zone and only so many days or allotment that they can have there. And it does, I think, limit some of the guiding pressure, you know, here around Lackaparrow, I think at one point we had I don't know four or five different guide services running around and it was like the early when we had the uh the early goose season I know the august season for sure we hunted it a couple of times and then all of a sudden all the stuff got got locked up and even in the September goose season it's like I I did we have very few wheat fields where we're at too so yeah. our old fields like most there's only a handful of them and the guides lock them up right away and I mean we did we just don't even think about goose hunting very much during that early season locally anymore because everything gets locked up. So, it's uh, I, I could see I could see that maybe being a, a, something we could steal from the Canadians as far as uh, limiting guide service. And I know every state down here is a little bit different on on how they manage guides, and some states are wide open. But um, you know, maybe that's something we could do here.
4: Yeah, we could open a whole can of worms right now with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: well, we'll save that for another podcast. Um, and before we let you go here, guys, we got to talk about the uh, the Duck Hunters Expo. And you know, Brad, it was funny. I, we were talking before the show, and we were talking about your past with uh, with Pheasants Forever and and Pheasant Fest. And I was looking at the lineup here and the schedule for the Duck Hunters Expo. It's July twenty eighth through the thirtieth, uh, State House Convention Center in Little Rock. And I was like, this looks a lot like. Uh, looks a lot like pheasant fest like there's a a dog parade and
4: (laughs) absolutely i know i just took i took everything that worked really well for me when i was at pheasants forever and i just brought it over to the duck world and then all the all the failures that i had over in the pheasant world i just (laughs) left those behind as well so uh so what it what it really turned out to be here just in a very short amount of time is a very very successful well-run event Um, It is the largest event dedicated to the duck hunter in North America, hands down. There's no question about it. Um, You will not find anything but duck hunting stuff in this expo floor whatsoever. We've got three cool seminar stages. We've got our duck dog stage. We've got our duck hunter stage. We've got our delta waterfowl stage where you can see a lot of wild game cooking on this year. Um, it's, it's just, it just morphed into something really cool and not just to the general public, but this was something that the, 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 uh, the duck hunting industry, you know, the manufacturers of ammunition and waders and decoys, uh, were craving and they've, uh, they've wrapped their arms around it and really embraced it. And, uh, we'll be moving forward with this for a long time to come.
0: So is this kind of your, your brain, you know, your creation then did you bring this to Delta waterfall and say, Hey, we should do this.
4: I did. Yes. Oh, nice. Absolutely.
0: Okay. And how many? So, how many years is it? It's only been a couple of years, right?
4: Last year was our first year. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, and then was it the same place last year? Same place in uh, Little Rock at the State House Convention Center right downtown. Um, we've got roughly 80,000 square feet in that area. And I can tell you, in, in, in one year, we've easily outgrown that space.
0: Oh, wow. Are you yeah. planning? Are you, you going to follow that? PF model of moving it around a little bit or is it? I am. Stay? Okay.
4: I am. Yes. Cause it works really well. Um, you know, it's, it's great to be able to tell your story in this case, the Delta waterfowl story, uh, and, and how we are the duck hunters organization to a different crowd in a different location as often as possible, at least once a year. And, uh, it just, it, Plus, you know, you you know, you go to the sports show. Um, you go to a sports show in any major city that's there year after year after year, and you're seeing the same folks, same right. time, same place year after year. And, uh, you know, if if I miss it this year, well, I'll catch it next year. Well, in this situation, and and just like it with Pheasant Fest, um, you know, if I miss it this year, I got to wait another five years before it ever comes back around. You know? Yeah. Um, which which you know gets people up out of their comfy chairs in the summertime and.
0: No, that's a great, yeah, that's a great idea, and that that's all, honestly, my biggest knock on Pheasant Fest, because it's like, god dang it, it's not in Minneapolis this year, I gotta, I'm not, I'm, I'm either not gonna be able to go, or I gotta travel to Kansas City or whatever mm-hmm. to go to it, but from, from yeah. your standpoint, it makes complete sense, because it is, it does create some urgency when it does come to town, I know, um, well, this I can't remember that last time I came through Minnesota or this year I can't remember there. I wasn't gonna go originally, and then I was like, God dang it, I, I gotta go. Like, it's not gonna come back around for yeah. a few years. I gotta go to it. So it makes total sense to move it around like that.
4: And the exhibitors love it as well. They don't they don't need to talk to the same people every right. year. Um, they like to switch it up, and uh, they like to go out to different restaurants for supper and what have you. And yeah, it's, oh yeah, it's it's a lot of fun.
0: All right. So what, what are a couple of the highlights? I know th- for guys like us, that uh, we're going to be in Saskatchewan, actually, at the time of this, so we're not going to be able to make it down there to Arkansas, unfortunately. I would like to go to this. But um, there are going to be some ways that we can follow along. There's a podcast that's going to be going on during uh, yep. the expo?
4: Yeah, we have our podcast um, that uh, uh, Joel Bryce, our chief of conservation uh, does down there. And so we'll be talking to a lot of the vendors as well as um, you know just some influential people within the waterfowl community. Um, that's kind of a cool deal. Um, two real neat highlights of the event are, are um, we do the world championship cut down calling contest uh, is held at this event. And uh, that happened last year and was a huge hit. And then uh, this year, we're also doing the uh, uh, Callmakers Championship. So, history and, and heritage is such a big part of waterfowling that we're going to honor waterfowl callmakers of the past each year and do a tribute call contest. So, every callmaker will have to make a call similar to, in this case, uh, Mr. Taylor's, the Taylor Duck Call. Uh, and then they're judged based on that call and how it relates to the old calls of days gone by, and then we'll also have your regular calling contest where you can just kind of go off the wall and do whatever the heck you want. And uh, and so there'll be two different classes and categories, and we're really looking forward to that. You know, the funny thing is, is I love the guys at NWTF, but uh, we need to bring the largest duck call making contest out of the turkey world and brain of the duck world. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, it's a great event. I was excited when I heard about it last year when you when you guys uh, announced it and um, I'm glad it went well and that it's going to continue to go well. I'll look forward to it coming to Minnesota because I'm sure it will. And uh, maybe one of these years, I'll have to travel down when it's, when it's on the road, too. And I know you guys are in Wisconsin. We, we're filming at Horicon. Uh, we're going to be doing a big film over there this fall. Maybe we'll uh, meet up, and you guys can tell me a little bit more about the history of waterfowling in Wisconsin and, and Horicon Marsh. And anything else about Delta Waterfowl? I should say, if people want to want to join, there's a number of different levels. In fact, uh, I've, been a, I've had a membership. I, I think last year, I think I had two, two Delta Waterfowl memberships going at the same time, actually. Which was kind of interesting. We got got an extra magazine every time it came out, uh, but now we're we signed up as a as a I think the sponsor level. I think it is. So Thank now you. Fish Fish on Forever is a the sponsor level for Delta Waterfall, uh, which is great. We're we're proud to support conservation organizations that are out there doing the work, and not only you know not only work to uh, increase access, increase habitat, you know, decrease predation, improve improve the experience for hunters out there and introduce it to new people. Uh, but also the advocacy work that gets done to, um, you know, guys that are out there dealing in the the sludge of the the politics of it all. You know, that is the kind of stuff that guys like us hate to do, but we need people to do it. So when we have an organization that, that will wade into the waters of, of you know, the shark infested waters of, of Washington, D.C. and the, the, the state capitals. It's nice. We appreciate it, I guess, is where I'm going with this. So I'm happy to support organizations that are doing it. So uh, thank you very much. And uh, tell people where we can learn more about all these things.
5: Yeah, so go to our website, deltawaterfall.org, and there's, <clears throat> there's all four of our pillars are on there. Duck production, habitat conservation, Hunter 3, which is recruitment, retention, reactivation. And of course, research and education uh, are on there. You can read about our policy work that you just referenced as well. There's, there's, uh, that's why we call ourselves the Duck Hunters Organization, because we uniquely work on all four of those pillars.
4: And if you want to make it really easy, just come on down to the Duck Hunters Expo in Little Rock, July 28th, 29th, and 30th and with your ten dollar entry fee into the event children under 16 are free bring the whole family uh you will also get a six month free digital membership to the organization
0: oh there you go perfect mm-hmm. all right well uh paul Wade, brad heidel uh keep up the good work and let's do this again thanks for the time today on the show right on. thank you sporting journal radio is a division of Makaba llc If you've got a question, comment, or story idea for us, send us an email. Go to SportingJournalRadio.com. While you're there, you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store for hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Go to SportingJournalRadio.com.